Away we go. We're on. Great. Let me ask you another question, too, before we move on ahead. All right. Um, we use this phrase, the word, all the time. Okay? You are, let's say you invite a friend to a worship service here, and they come with you. They're surprised at how friendly people are because in the past when they've gone to a church, the people just haven't been, haven't been all that friendly. They're surprised that there's like coffee and people are actually laughing and talking and there's treats and, and that's cool. And then they get into the worship service and they're really surprised because the last time they went to church there was a piano lady and this guy with the beard playing guitar and they've got like this band up there and it, it sounds kind of cool and you know, that type of thing. Okay, and then the fat guy gets up to talk and he, he says, he says, just want you to know we're going to open up the word now. Okay? And afterwards, you first say, why did that guy call the Bible the Word? What did you tell him? And there is going to be a follow-up question, and yeah, it is a little bit of a trap, but answer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was not subtle. I like, I like falling for traps. I'll, try, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, sure. From the last chapter, um, yeah. we, we learned. Absolutely right. We could refer to the word in, in slang as God's truth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. God's word is absolutely true. I agree. But why the phrase the word? Okay. This is one of those little Christian lingo kind of things that we do that really aren't very helpful for somebody who's checking things out. And what are you talking about? The word. What's that? What? Boom. Okay. Here, here, here we're going. You see, uh, basically, okay, why do they call it the Word? Because the Bi we understand the Bible to be God's words to us. Okay? Maybe we should call it the words. I don't know. You know, but we have this phrase we use. Okay? This is God's words. Now, this is my question for you now, and this is sort of the test. How do you know that? Yeah, I know. Okay, but your friend isn't going to accept that. So how do you know that? Hey, there we go. Okay, 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 okay. Let me let me write. Let me write. Okay. Go. Okay, you can come up to the teacher's table, get a sticker, and you can put it on your sticker chart. Um, okay. Bible claims it. Remember, we said that when we're talking about theology, theology is what the whole Bible teaches about any subject. That's what it is. Okay? And that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. So now here's my question, okay? And you can look at your notes or anything you want. Um, what does the Bible have to say about itself? I mean, where do we go for that? John 1, 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, that's called the Word, though, calling the Word God. That's going to confuse me. That's going to confuse me. The Word's God. I, I thought you said the Word was the Bible. Is the Bible God? The Bible is the Word of God. Okay, okay. 
There were some specific passages of Scripture. Where is that? Mm-hmm. Okay, Timothy. What Timothy? Second. What? Second. Second? Got it. Second Timothy, anybody remember? Second Timothy 3.16 and 17. This is a key verse. Have that one in your head. Okay. Write it in your book. Don't write it on your hand because it'll just get washed off. But there are just some key verses we ought to know. Okay, we just, we just ought to know them and have them in our head. And that's going to take some work because our peak days of memorizing stuff are long over. Okay, <laughs> yeah. For you guys, maybe not so much. Maybe you still got some juice in you. But, man, you know, I, you know, sometimes I'll bend over to tie my shoe and think, now why am I down here again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, But anyway, that is just a key. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because it says all Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God. Okay, That's like his words. But it also talks about what it's good for. Reproof, Reproof which is what? Actually, reproof is correction, yeah, correction. What else? Yeah. And it's what we learned when we were kids, and that's all right, you know, except we don't normally use that term reproof anymore. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, that's just a key one to have in your head because somebody's going to say, why do they call it the Word? Well, the reason we call the Bible the Word is because we believe. You've got to say we believe. You can't say, well, this is the way it is, you know, and, you know my way or the highway, you know, and if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. But, but basically say, hey, we believe that these are the words of God to us, okay, that actually these are words that were given by God. And the reason we believe that is because in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says they're God-breathed. They're breathed out by God, and they're good for four different things. They're good for teaching, they're good for rebuking, they're good for correcting, and they're good for training in righteousness. They tell us everything we need to know for following God. So please figure out a way to remember where that is. Okay, um, any other verses related to this that you can remember from last week? There's one other one because sometimes people will say, well, yeah, but those are, those are just people's words. I mean, you will. 2 Peter 1 20 and 21. Yep. Those are the two. I would say that of these verses, these are probably the two main verses. Now, remember what we said. We said theology is, is knowing what the whole Bible teaches about a particular subject. Okay, so it's just a good idea to have an idea of where those things might be. And quite frankly, this shouldn't be hard to forget. Second Timothy, Second Peter, and if you underlined it or highlight it or whatever, you should be able to get to it fairly easily. And don't hesitate to say, this is what the Bible says. Okay, now first of all, if you, with your friend, if you can actually discuss intelligently even halfway about the Bible, you're ahead of 99% of the people, believe me, because everybody says they know something about the Bible. Not everybody, but most people do. They really don't. 
They really don't know anything. And if you know just a little bit, you know, it, it adds a lot of credibility. Hey, you do know what you're talking about, you know? So you can just know to take them there and just say, this is what we believe. Now, they may not agree with you. They, well, that's kind of weird. But at least you've got to start to say, well, this is what we believe. And that's helpful. And i got to work really hard on not saying the word, okay, when, when I preach. Wouldn't you want to finish it the word of God? No, I don't know. I think I'd rather just say the Bible because people get that, you know. Um, kind of the rule of thumb is talk in language that a 12-year-old who's never been to church in their life would understand. That's what I try to do. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but I, I, I try to talk in the way you'd talk to like a friend at McDonald's, you know? And there's a reason for that, you know? Because I'm making an assumption. Here's the assumption that, that I am making, is that when people come, they're not stupid, okay? They can understand things, but they can't understand things if they've never learned the words. Okay, none of us can. If I sit in a lecture about farming, and I haven't learned all these different things, you know, pre-emergent, blah, 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 and all that stuff, I've got no idea what you're talking about. But if you use words I understand that are part of my experience, you can take me, you can teach me a lot about farming in a half an hour. You really can, if I can understand you. And this actually came out of our experiences. I'm getting a little bit on a rabbit trail here, but I don't think you guys mind too much. It's good stuff. Um, when we were in Austria, one of the things we noticed, you know, I, I try to be a student of culture. Okay, I want to learn about culture. I find central Minnesota culture absolutely fascinating, and I love living here. I mean, I just think it's so fun. You know, code. I, I love Minnesota code. You know, like the phrase, that's interesting. Do you have an idea how many meanings that's interesting has? I mean, it's incredible. It can be like, I think you're a moron, but that's interesting. You know? <laughs> we just have these wonderfully polite ways of telling people they're stupid. But anyway, um, so anyway, observing culture, one of the things I observed as we were learning language is that the churches in Austria had, had, had um, insider cultures and insider language that nobody could understand, okay? Because nobody talked that way, except people inside the churches. And so then what we decided to do was say, okay, well, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do, and we kind of made a rule in two of our church plans. We said, here's the guy. The guys who preach, you got to talk in a way that a 12-year-old kid who's never been to church can understand. And if you don't do that, we're not going to let you preach. And they started doing that, and people were going, I can't believe it. You guys are normal. That made so much sense. I learned so much. We could take a person to any passage of Scripture who had never been to church before, and they could at least get it. You know, so the stuff about oh, that's too deep for non-believers. That's a bunch of hogwash. It's all how we talk, and that's why people love Jesus so much because he was telling these great stories with seed and with women losing coins in their houses and putting bushels or putting bulls over lamps and and all. And people got that. You know, they understood it. So don't hesitate, you know. And I'm, in fact, maybe I should have a swear jar where, where if I say the word when I'm preaching, I had to throw a quarter in the swear jar. I don't know, you know. So, <laughs> you know. What should I call it? Okay. Anyway, the whole point, the whole point of this is part of theology is learning to explain to people in normal language what the Bible has to say. Okay. So maybe that's it for today. Why do you call the Bible the Word? If that, well, the reason I call the Bible the Word. What? Do I have one with me? Am I? said twice, you now. No, I went to running. So I spent all my money on a drill bit. Um, okay. <laughs> um, 
you know, but, but when somebody asks that, well, why did that guy say that? The response is, well, we believe, and the Bible teaches, that these words are the words God is saying to us. And so that's why we call it the word. Okay? Well, all of a sudden, next time, if your friend comes back with you, if they hear the word again, they're going to know what that means. You know? So we have a chance to do that. Okay? Clear? All right, good. We're going to get into the clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of the Bible. Um, if you have questions about this, um, raise your questions. I'm going to tell you what we want to do. I'm going to define the term, and then I'm going to give you some principles for interpreting Scripture so that we're not just talking about the fact that the Bible is clear, but actually give you some tools to help you as you are studying the Bible, if that's okay, if that's all right. Um, then, uh, and we're going to deal with the one that Karen brought up last week. That's going to be one of them. We're going to deal with um, the whole thing about long hair and head coverings. Is that okay if we do that? That might be kind of fun, you know? Some of us, well, I guess nobody here really. You got a ponytail? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Dude, maybe going to the barber tomorrow. You never know. <laughs> I want a ponytail so bad. Sharon will not let me have a ponytail. <laughs> I am just really unhappy about that. But anyway, it's the way it goes. Either that or a Euro buzz, but she won't let me have either one. Okay, so let's, what's that? I, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. Part of it seems like a waste because I have two brothers who are younger than me. They're both bald and I'm not, and I take great delight in reminding them of that. Um, okay. <laughs> Clarity of Scripture, and this is the definition from Wayne Gerudem. I, I just think this is really good. Clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. That definition is in your book, okay? We do need to understand pastors and priests do not have a monopoly on understanding the Bible. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Pastors and priests do not have a monopoly on understanding the Bible. That is less of an issue in evangelical churches than it would be in, in, in other churches. In fact, I have friends who were told, don't even try to interpret the Bible. You can't do it. You've got to go to special school <laughs> to do it. Okay, and I'm, what's that? Oh, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, do whatever you need to do, Marcy. That's fine. But I am going to keep going, if you don't mind. Okay? Um, so, basically, Wayne Grudem is talking about the fact this Word of God, yes, sometimes it is difficult to understand, but it can be understood. Okay? And then he goes on and he talks about why people misunderstand Scripture. Let me just go with this. People misunderstand Scripture because they have hard hearts. People understand, misunderstand Scripture because they lack the spiritual or moral qualities to understand. That can happen. They are ill-informed about the events of the day. They may also make affirmations where Scripture is silent. That happens quite a bit. How many of you have heard, God will never give you anything you can't handle? You ever heard that one? That is like so not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, who came up with that? You know, God helps those who help themselves. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. They also serve who stand and wait. Maytag commercial, originally John Donne from Paradise Lost. Never in the Bible, but people say stuff like that. They make mistakes in interpretation of Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to give you some principles for interpreting Scripture that might help you, okay? You may want to write these down as you're studying. Now, the first thing that you're going to notice about this is it's going to take more work, all right? 
It's not going to be zip, 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 I read my devotional, I'm done. I mean, you're going to have to slow down. You may only get through a couple of verses, but I'd rather get through a couple of verses and know something than read a lot of verses. And when I'm all done, I kind of go, okay, well, what was that all about, you know? We've got some men in our church who are going through the book of Luke with each other, and I'm in a group like that. I was talking to a couple of guys tonight. I said, where are you guys? Because we didn't tell them when they had to be done. They said, oh, we're in Luke 21. Ah, cool, that's pretty good. And he goes, where are you? We're in Luke 9. <laughs> you know, we all started at the same time, okay? My group is just taking her slow, you know, and, and basically studying everything to death. So anyway, some principles for interpreting Scripture. Number one, make sure my relationship with God is good. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. Also, if I'm hanging on to sin, if I'm running from God, if I'm living a carnal life, spiritual blindness is on me. I can't see it. I literally can't see it. You know, And I've actually had that experience where I have read passages to people that were caught in some kind of habitual sin and refused to repent or at least acknowledge it and I would read the simplest words and they would say I have no idea what you just read literally so we need to understand that that's the first thing okay I'm sorry Psalm 66 18 I'm going a little fast here I get excited about this stuff I'll write down the verses that'll slow me down a little bit Psalm 66 18 it has to do with prayer, okay? And the other is just more, it comes from my experience, that if I am not making sure that my relationship with God is good, I'm going to be blind. I'm not going to see stuff. And I want to see stuff. So i got I, I got to make sure that I'm confessed up and I'm ready to go. Okay, some principles. Number one, focus on what it actually says. Okay? Focus on what it actually says. Okay? And you better underline actually. I mean, really take the time to slow. Heidi picked up that in Matthew, the priests bought the land. In Acts, Judas bought the land. Okay? That's an important distinction. That's an important distinction. Corey, I think you picked up, it doesn't say he ran, it doesn't say he tripped. It just says he fell. Okay, that's important because every word is there for a reason. It's nothing is there by coincidence or by accident. Okay, so focus on what it actually says. Some questions you can ask. Okay, is what is the truth that is being taught? Yeah, same thing. Part of focusing on what it says. What truth is being taught? You know, who are they talking about here? What's the command? Or what's the promise? You know, any of those things. I mean, you, you figure out a way to write that. You know, is there a command here? Is there a promise here? And then this is really important. What is the basis for the truth or the command? To whom was it given? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
I'll give you a real good example of that in 1 Corinthians 7. It says that a, um, if you have a believing wife and an unbelieving husband, the believing wife should stay with the unbelieving husband and not leave him because through her actions and through her life, he may very well come to Christ. Okay? Now, this is written specifically to believing wives with unbelieving husbands. Okay? Here's what I saw happen once. There's a, there was a couple where a guy was basically cheating on his wife, and um, she found out and wanted to leave him. Now, the Bible gives her permission to leave. doesn't mean she has to, but it does give her permission. But he was a guy who was kind of slimy and uh, kind of could use the Bible to his own ends. And so he pulled up this, this um, passage of Scripture and said, well, well, this says wives are supposed to stay with their husbands. I mean, he was trying to control or manipulate her. And, and I had to step in. And I said, these are two separate issues here. You know, but I said, the one you have to deal with is Matthew 19, which is, you know, about adultery and staying together, not staying together. And you have a decision to make, and I, I will pray for you, and I will guide you, but I can't tell you what to do. You have to decide what you're going to do. This is really important. But to pull 1 Corinthians 7, which is a totally different context, and to throw that in her face is just absolutely wrong because it's not talking to women whose husbands have cheated on them. It's talking to women whose husbands are unbelievers. And it's important. That's just one example. Okay. Do I find this truth anywhere else in the Bible? And that's where the concordance is helpful. That's where a study Bible is helpful. That's where just sanctified memory and the Holy Spirit kind of reminding us of stuff. Sometimes Bibles have on the side, they will have in the column, maybe some of your Bibles have that, kind of other Bible verses that deal with the same topic, and they're just kind of there. And you take a look at those and see if it, it talks about something else. That's really helpful. And just try to find out as much as I can on what is it actually Satan saying. And then the last one is, do I find this truth or command negated anywhere in the Bible? We'll talk about one of the classic ones of that in just a little bit. Okay. Next set of principles for interpreting Scripture. I'm sorry. Uh, contradicted. Uh, taken out of force. Um, let me give you an example of that. Um, Bible says if somebody strikes another person and causes injury in Leviticus, says the same thing will have to be done to the person that they did to the other person. And it has that phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay, which is, you know. Well, Jesus says, you heard in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says, you heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, but I say to you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn them to the left also. And if someone wants to take your coat, give me a cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go another mile with them, or go two miles with them. Okay. So Jesus is basically taking that command, and he's negating it, which he has the right to do as God. We do not, but he does. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You know, you can negate a command. Um, okay. Next set of principles is focus on what it meant when it was written. Okay. 
What was the context? What was going on at the time? Historical? Yeah. Cultural, historical. Was it in the monarchy in Israel? Was it during the time of judges? Was it during the time of Joshua? Was it in the desert? You know, was it, you know, in uh, for Jews under the Roman Empire? You know, the, uh, let me give you a real good example of that. Okay, this whole thing about you know, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, first of all, the term "strike" does not mean punch; it means slap. Okay, so it's first thing you got to slap. Okay. All right. If you slap somebody on the right cheek, what hand are you using? Got to use your left hand. Okay. So you know, I suppose you could backhand them, but but basically you're you're using the left hand. Okay. In Jesus' day, in the first century, the left hand was a dirty hand. Okay. Left hand was a hand that you only use for dirty things like wiping yourself and picking up manure and and that kind of stuff. You always ate with your right hand, which is why the man in the synagogue with the withered. Have you noticed in the Bible? And I think it's in Luke chapter 4, there was a man in the synagogue with a withered right hand. He couldn't feed himself. Somebody had to feed him because culturally that was a dirty hand. Somebody slaps you with a dirty hand, it's an insult. Okay? That's what it's, everybody understood that. You're slapped, getting slapped on the right cheek, it's an insult. Now we have no way of knowing that. Okay? Now in our culture, but you can find things like that out. Okay? And what is Jesus saying? If somebody insults you, don't fight back. Give them another opportunity to insult you. Refuse to take the bait. Okay? The whole, pardon me? Refuse to take the bait? Yeah, because usually if somebody's got, if somebody insults you, what are they doing? They're trying to provoke you. They're trying to provoke you. They're trying to get you to react and respond. That's why we insult people generally. You know, they just don't take the bait. Don't get sucked into this thing, and don't slap them on the right cheek too, because they slapped you on the right cheek. You know, a little later on, it talks about if someone forces you to go one mile, go another mile with them. Well, that was totally cultural. Um, the Roman army, Roman soldiers, had the right, as the conquerors, to um, force people to carry their pack for them one mile. They were allowed to carry them one mile. Okay. And because they march long distances with these heavy packs, so you can just grab a guy. Hey, get over here, carry my pack. You can do it for one mile, then you got to take the pack back. And he's saying, you know, somebody's going to treat you this way. Go, and that's where we get this phrase: "Go the extra mile." Yeah, you know, um, that's all cultural. But you wouldn't know that. I mean, you'd see that, and you go, "Well, who would make you walk a mile?" You know, what's that all about? You know, well, that, the, and some of you knew those things already. But if you didn't know those things, that might be helpful. What is Jesus really trying to teach here? Okay. What was the problem they were facing? Uh, don't, don't, you know, that's another question to ask. And, and what cultural meanings are attached to the truth? Okay. Then, focus on what it means now. Then focus on what it means now, not before here. Before here. I'm sorry, that was German. Um, oh, dear. Uh, sooner or later, you've got to apply it to what we mean now. But don't do it too fast. And please, if you're leading a Bible study, don't let the first question out of your mouth after you read the passage be, what does that mean to you? Okay? That's absolutely irrelevant. Okay? What it means to you is absolutely irrelevant. I will go out on a limb and say that. Okay? Why? That's not helpful. Okay? 
first question is, what did you guys see here? What's going on? Who's Jesus talking to? Why do you think, you know, ask those, ask the what, the why, the how, the where, the when kind of questions, okay? And say, why do you think Jesus was saying that to them, you know? Well, you talk about that for a while and you figure it out together and say, okay, what kind of situations do we have now in our day where it's the equivalent of people slapping us on the right cheek or people making us go a mile? And, and what kinds of things do we face? Because we don't face those things. But what's similar? What do you think Jesus is saying to us now? I mean, you do it that way rather than, well, what does that mean to you? What's well, pointless? Who cares? What you care about is what it means. That's what you want to go for. And that's part of our problem, you know, is that sometimes people say, I'm getting excited here, i got to be careful. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I do. I, I go crazy with this kind of stuff because sometimes people, you know, you, you hear this phrase, well, you can make, make the Bible mean anything you want it to mean, you know. You've heard that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Well, guess what? You can do that with anything. You can do that with a phone book, you know. You know, if, if you ask the, just ask the question, what does this mean to you? Well, you can go anywhere you want with it, you know? But if you take the time to actually look at what does it really say, what did it really mean back then, near as we can figure out, and in our situation now, what kind of situations do we face that are similar, and what could that mean for us now? All of a sudden, the, the, the meaning just begins to focus right down for you. It's really helpful. So I would encourage you to take the time to do that. You won't cover 20 verses in a Bible study. It isn't going to happen, okay? You may cover five. But, man, you're going to know those five when all is said and done. And that's really what, what, what theology is all about. Okay. Um, last question. How would applying this truth, what would applying this truth look like today, and what would it accomplish? Okay. And this is all part of clarity. Okay. Now, I want to give you four principles that, um, that are helpful in studying the Bible. And I'm going to give you the principle, and I'm going to write the verses for it up on the board so that you have the verses as well, okay? This might be helpful too, okay? Number one, commands that appear later in Scripture supersede commands that appear earlier in Scripture, okay? Commands that appear later in Scripture, like in the New Testament, automatically have priority over commands in the Old Testament. Okay? Some verses on that one. Matthew 5, I think it's 14 to 48 or something like that. It's a good portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, 21 to 48, I'm sorry. Um, good portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus just gets into this. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he's just like flipping it on its head. He's allowed to do that. He's God. He can do that. We can't, but he's allowed to do that, okay? So, you know, even though it does say in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it's not what Jesus says to do, okay? Which means that that's going to affect my understanding. Now, what that tells me is that injuring people is a serious thing, and we shouldn't take it lightly. But it doesn't mean that the way we deal with people injuring people is by injuring them back. You know, that's how you end up with feuds and who knows what. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is um, Mark. Somebody want to read Mark 7, 17 to 19? What was Leviticus? 11. Just somebody read it. 
Yeah. Boom, baby. You can eat shrimp. <laughs> Pork. Pork. Shellfish. I love his humor to the disciples. Have you guys been with it? He what? I love his humor to the disciples. Yeah. Are you so dim with it? I said dim with it, yeah. That was not what he said. But. What did he say? Are you so slow or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. Are you also without understanding? <laughs> come on, guys. Come on, come on. Guys. You weren't born yesterday. He did that more than once. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a few places in there where he goes to the disciples like, really, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I personally think it would have been an absolute blast to hang out with Jesus. I think it would have been amazing. Yeah. You know, it, would have, it probably would have been a laugh a minute followed by these most amazing, insightful things about life, you know, and just back and forth. I mean, if you're God and you invented humor, you should be able to tell some pretty funny jokes, I would think. Okay. All right. But anyway, I just want, and now Leviticus 11 is this entire dietary law thing. Okay. All these things you're not supposed to eat. And, but because Mark comes after Leviticus, Mark supersedes Leviticus. Now, we have friends in different groups, different church groups, who follow the Jewish dietary laws. That's okay. They have that freedom to do that. It's really okay. But it doesn't guarantee their salvation. That's important that we understand that. If you want to choose to not eat pork, that's your choice. That's okay. But, yeah. So, on that note, I yeah. always struggled with the, um, the idea that, so if somebody feels like eating pork is, um, defiles them, sure. but then I, they come to my house, and I know they don't eat pork, then it's actually my, is it my job then to not eat pork in front of them as well? Absolutely. Like that? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of the same with, um, if you're going to, if there's a, you know, somebody that hangs around with you that's a non-drinker or a, that type of thing too, it's the same kind of. Well, let's put it this way. Let, let, let's take it, let's say you've got somebody who's, who's sober and they're fighting a good fight and we go out to eat and they say, oh, no, it's okay, I'll be fine. You know, go ahead and order what you want. It's incredibly unloving for me to turn around and order a drink, I think. I think the loving thing to do is say, you know what, I love you. I want to have fellowship with you. I don't want to make your life harder. I want to make your life easier. And I know you're telling me it's okay, and I understand that. But guess what? I'm getting lemon water. I mean, you just, you just do that out of love. That's what you do, you know. Been in that situation. Sure. I respect that situation. That the, on the other hand, there, there's a time where I started feeling like the leper in the room because nobody else can drink because I'm here. Okay. And I felt guilty because of it. Okay. You know, and so I felt better when people ordered a drink. Okay. Well, that's All good right. to know. That's I'm good to know. Okay. Good. I'm going to be fine. Okay. You figure that out. Okay. And yeah, I stand I corrected on that. That's okay. That's just another. That's thing. okay. You know. Maybe, I guess I was thinking more of a personal kind of thing, you know. Yep. Why am I sitting here with a glass of ale and, you know, you're not and, you know, it, you know, because what we drink and what we eat does kind of bind us together. 
you know, it really kind of does. But I understand that. I get that, Corey. Yeah, I don't want the whole room. You know, I don't want anybody doing anything because of me. You know, I, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, that would be a really good example. So if it is a sin to somebody else, because drinking may not be a sin, like, say, to, 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 to him, um, for me, yeah. it is because I can't control it, so I'm, I'm in recovery. But because it, I mean, it may not be a sin to him, it is to me, it would be kind of almost on him. To make sure that he doesn't cause him to sin by absolutely. Really, I mean, and I don't. Yep. Obviously, that's not personal, but I'm just saying. No, I like the yeah. I'll give you another example. Um, I was riding, I, I like classic rock, okay, um, and I was riding with a guy, who recovering addict, okay. We're riding in the car. We're not talking about drugs right now, but I got the radio on, okay. Magic carpet ride by Steppenwolf, which, you know, what I'm talking about, okay. I mean. This is like a drug song of all drug songs, you know. And this is going to, and he said, he turns to me, he says, "I'm sorry, but could you turn that off?" And I sure glad to. I turn it off. And he he took the time to explain. He says, "You got to understand, it doesn't make me want to trade drugs, but it reminds me of times that I would rather forget." And I thought, okay, that's legit, man. I can accept that, you know. And if I'm going to be loving to him, I'm going to turn it off. I'm not going to say, "Oh, listen to the song. It's my car," you know, that type of thing, you know. That's a loving thing to do, you know, absolutely. Here's, here's the issue, though. Here's the issue sometimes is that, and, and I think the other thing, too, would be people who maybe have been raised a certain way. Like I was raised, okay, I, I, well, let's talk about alcohol since we're going to talk about kids. I was raised that if you're a Christian, you're a teetotaler. Okay, you do not drink. All right, that's how I was raised. I get to Austria, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to visit somebody, you're going to get a glass of wine. Put You can't avoid that. To refuse that glass of wine is like really an insult, okay? I got a choice to make here now. Am I going to insult everybody in my life, or what am I going to do? But I remember that first glass of wine I sipped. I remember thinking to myself, literally, I'm lifting this glass up, thinking, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. <laughs> Honestly, it was that strong inside of me, you know? Now, I suppose that I could have expected them to, you know, respect me and, and help me, but they weren't believers. And they were just trying to be friendly, and we're trying to share the gospel with them, so we figured out a way to deal with this. And it worked pretty well for us, you know. Does it work for everybody? No. But, you know, that's, that's what we did. And, and it worked, and we ended up seeing a lot of people come to Christ. The bigger issue was when we did communion, and we used real wine in communion. <clears throat> and I will never forget, we had a guy that was a recovering alcoholic, and we're passing this thing around, and it's got wine in it, and... He, literally, I was standing right in front of him when he did this. He took the cup, because we had this one cup kind of thing where a small church. He takes it and he goes, and he looks at me and he passes it on. And I thought, I will never, ever do that to somebody again. So I went to my coworker and said, we, we got to start using grape juice, man. Hans, he couldn't take communion because it was wine. Well, first, first reaction. This is just how strong the traditions are. Well, God will protect him. Really? Why isn't that working with a bunch of other people then, you know? I mean, and, and the second one was, well, we have to use wine or everybody is going to get cold sores. Well, everybody got cold sores anyway. So I don't, you know, and what it really just came down to is this is our tradition. And finally he said, it's not really communion. And oh, he said, oh, in the Bible it says he used wine. I says, the word is oinos. It means grape juice or wine. It can mean either one, right? And he finally said, well, it won't, it won't feel like communion. 
and then I and then I said and I just said tail I said he, he was a friend of mine he really was and we were having a heated conversation I said tail I'm just gonna ask you a question Hans can't take communion right now because the way we're doing it do you want to deny him the thing that Jesus told him to do so that the rest of us feel like it's communion and to Teo's credit, a big tear came down his cheek, and, you know, he, he said, we need to repent of this. We need to change. And what was so cool about it is I was like the American, and he was, he was the German, and he'd been there a long time. And at the next worship service when we did communion, he got up and told everybody it was his decision to go to grape juice instead of wine. I mean, he owned it. He took it. And I, I, was, I thought, I'll, I'll die on any hill for this guy, man. I really will, you know. And Hans, for the first time in his life, was able to take communion. I mean, it was just amazing. You know? anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Anyway, okay. Um, commands that appear later in Scripture supersede commands that appear early in Scripture. Okay, now this next one is crucial for this whole long hair thing that, that Karen brought up, is that commands that are based on changeable circumstances are cultural. Commands that are based on changeable circumstances are cultural, and we're going to look right at that long hair thing. 1 Corinthians 11. 11. What is it? 1 Corinthians 11, 14 to 16. And you better open up your Bibles on this one, because we're going to take a look at this, because this is really crucial. This isn't such a big deal about hair, but when it comes to relations between men and women and stuff like this, this can get pretty hairy, no pun intended, all right? First um, Corinthians chapter eleven. Now let's let's go through some of these questions. All right. Okay. Eleven to yeah, fourteen to sixteen. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let's start. All right, well, let me just read it first of all, you know, and, and then we'll take a look at it. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practices, nor do the churches of God. Now, the context, he's talking about whether men should pray with their heads uncovered or not. Well, men should pray with their heads uncovered, and women should pray with their heads covered, okay? Which is the exact opposite of what the Jews used to do, okay? But we're going to go through the thing. Okay, what does it really say? What, 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 what truth is it teaching, starting with verse 14? Honestly, what's your teaching? So he's talking about like the nature itself. So he's talking about something that's already in place. Yeah, the nature of things, yeah, okay. It's already in place that this is how okay. this is. Okay, and then the answer, the question is the nature of what things? I heard somebody tell me once, they said, well, nature itself shows that men should have short hair and women should have long hair. And I remember me being me going, huh? what? Lions, male lions have long hair. Female lions have short hair. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, and I can't. So he's talking about the nature of something. 
we don't really know what it is. Something that everybody just assumed. The nature of things, the way, mm -hmm. the way things are, okay? As soon as you're talking about the way things are, you're talking about something that could change, all right? So he's making this case that men should have short hair or not have long hair because of the way things are, okay? Now, there is validity to this, and we'll get to the validity of this, all right? Um, but that if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, okay? Yeah, because that's the way things are right now, okay? Long hair is given to her as a covering. I find that fascinating. You know, everybody says, well, women have to wear a covering on their head, but long hair is given to her as a covering. She's got it already. It's kind of built in, you know? Okay? And then it goes on and says, if anyone wants us to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Again, what's he basing it on? He's basing it on the practices of the other churches of God. But those practices could change. In fact, they have. This is an example of a command. Men have short hair, women have long hair, but it's based on the way things are and the practices in the churches. Okay? Now, why do things because of the way things are? You don't want people who are trying to check out Jesus to walk into a church and go, these guys are weird. You know, they're going to find out sooner or later they are weird, but, but <laughs> you, know, you don't want to get that right at the Why outset. What? Yeah, I want to advertise it, yeah. I, I got a friend who's a pastor of an Assembly of God church. They speak in tongues in this church, okay? That's part of their worship services. He is forbidden speaking in tongues in the worship services. They won't let him do it. Okay? And I said, well, why is that? That's part of what you guys do. He said, we don't want people coming in trying to check out Jesus and thinking it's just all weird. We got other venues for that, but in our worship services, I will not let anybody speak in tongues because I don't want some guy coming in and looking around and going, "What in the world is going on? I'm out of here!" You know, exit stage left. You know, fascinating. Yeah. So what's Paul doing? He's saying the nature, the way things are, the way this culture is. If the men are having long hair and the women are having short hair, this is not going to help people come to Christ. It's going to get in the way. So don't do that. And don't fuss about it, and don't say you got the right to do it, because none of the churches are doing this. Just don't. Stop it. You know? Grow up a little bit. You know? You don't have to be this way. That's really what he's talking about here. Okay? Does that make sense to you? So this is after, okay, kind of. Well, I guess it doesn't really say if Jesus has long hair or not, does it? It doesn't. I'm sorry. I have too. I mean, that's, that's my picture. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Except, except, don't forget, this is Corinth, which yeah. is in Greece, which oh. is about 800 miles away. Okay. Just, just that's something to remember too. In all likelihood, Jesus probably did have long hair because in the pictures we have of first-century Jews, mosaics and whatnot, they all have long. The men all have long hair. Okay. Um, Romans had short hair. Greeks had short hair. Okay? And this is in Greece. 
So that, that might be it, too. I, I, my guess is Jesus probably had long hair. And quite frankly, I don't care if Corey wears a ponytail. I think it's fine. I think it's point. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's, just it's funny. It's irrelevant, you know. I really want a ponytail. Sharon just won't let me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that'd be so fun. I'd love that, man. So. Yeah. Yeah, the, go ahead and finish, I'm sorry. Right, right, right. And what you would do then, Shannon, is you're saying, okay, Corinthian, that name had to come from someplace. Where did it come from? Well, it came from people who live in the city of Corinth, okay? And all right, I think I've read the book of Acts at one time, and I remember Paul went to a city named Corinth. And also what you can do is if your Bible's any good, it's got a map in the back. Yep. And sometimes you can just look at the map and go, hey, okay, well, that's not in, that's not in Israel. Okay, the cultural stuff about short hair, you're right. You're right. But that's where you know something now you might not have known 15 minutes ago. Okay, and you've added it to the treasure chest in your head because every brain is a treasure chest. I, I view it that way. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's so. You got that now, and every time you go to that passage of scripture, you're going to be thinking, okay, um, Corinth, Greece, short hair, Israel, probably long hair. Um, here's the other thing: is that they had in Corinth, and this is a cultural thing for you, which you can write down. In Corinth, Corinth was a market city, it was a large city, had a pretty significant pagan population, and part of pagan religious rites was temple prostitution, okay? Um, temple prostitution, um, all those women had short hair. All right. So, let me, let me paint the picture for you, just so you understand what Paul is saying. You really see the wisdom behind this. So I'm a temple prostitute. Okay, this is how I've made my living. Okay, I have short hair. Everybody knows exactly what I do. I cannot escape that identity everywhere I go. I become a believer, and I give it up. I stop this temple prostitution stuff, and I start going to a church. Okay, well put it in our context, and I, I, I'm going to be real blunt with you. I was in Keystone, South Dakota. Two women walked by, and I turned to Sharon, and I said, those two women are prostitutes. I mean, you can just tell by the way they carried themselves, by how they dressed, everything else. Somebody dressed like that and come into a worship service, they're going to draw attention to themselves by the way they are dressed, okay? Well, there are going to be some people who are just going to go, I'm glad they're here. You know, I hope they're going to talk about Jesus. There are going to be some men that are here that are, quite frankly, spiritually immature, going, hmm, all right. Well, that's going to mess up their worship, you know. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, listen, we're going to help each other worship here. So, ladies, if you've got long hair, not a problem. It's given to you as a covering. It's right at the end. But if you've got short hair, cover it up. 
get a shawl on, get a veil on, get something on so that that attention is not drawn to something that will keep people from worshiping. Does that make sense? I think it makes total sense, you know? And those are one of the things I think that we learn as we're maturing in Christ, to learn to dress in a way and behave in a way that does not distract people from focusing on God, you know? And what's amazing is I watch people grow spiritually. Those things just tend to change, you know? They just, they just tend to learn that, hey, wait a minute here, I can... I, I don't need to be the way I was. I can, I can be different, and I can still be free. It's really okay, you know. That makes sense. I, th I think it does. I think it does. Okay, let's 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 keep moving here because um, the next one is number three: commands that are based on unchangeable circumstances are supracultural. If the basis for a command, and normally in the Bible you're going to get a basis for a command, God will say, "Do this because." Okay? Um, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because Christ loves the church. All right. All right. So, commands that are based on unchangeable circumstances are supercultural. Now, I'm going to open a can of worms with this one, okay? But I'm going to do it anyway. We're, not, we're just not going to come to any kind of resolution tonight, and that's okay. I can live with that. 2 Timothy 2 11 to 15. One of the most hated verses in the whole Bible. Okay? But I, want, I, I just want to show you something. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. How are we doing on time? Oh, shoot. I'm going to ask you guys a question afterwards. Um, let's go to 2.15, okay? And, and the reason I'm slowing down on this is I really want us to understand this principle because it's going to take some work to do this. This is all part of the clarity of the Bible, okay? Uh, listen, okay, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Let me just read it, okay? And like I said, this is the one that just... Those of you that have been around for a while in churches, you know exactly what I'm talking about, man. It just drives people nuts, okay? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Ooh. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. I so wish that wasn't there. But it's in the Bible. I, I, I have to be intellectually honest and deal with it. Okay, I've got to do something with it. Okay? But, but listen to this. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be kept safe through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Okay? I'm not going to deal with verse 15 tonight. Because okay? I don't know what it means. I'll tell you that right now. Okay? Now, I can do one of two things. I can say, I don't know what that means. I don't like that. I'm going to freak out. I don't like the Bible. Or I can say, remember what we said? We said, if there's something in the Bible I don't understand, it's because of my lack of understanding, not because the Bible's wrong. But let me take it back, okay? He's talking, this is a context that Timothy is in, but I don't want to focus on the meaning of this. I just want to focus on the basis. He says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. But here's the basis for the command. Adam was formed first, then Eve. You can't change that. That's an eternal truth. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. You may not like that. You may find that harsh. You may find it chauvinistic or sexist or whatever you want to call it. But it's there, and you can't change that. 
And so I've got to come to terms with what is being taught here. Now, I think I found a really good place for that. I'm just not going to get into that tonight with you guys. I, I think it's a, a really good explanation that honors everybody. I really wish you would get into that. What? You what? I really wish you would get into that. Too. I'm not going to be able to get into it tonight because we've only got seven minutes. I promise you this, we will get into it, okay? Yeah, it's it for un, and understandably so, and and it has been abused terribly. That's the other thing I will say. So First Timothy was written to who then, and what? It was written to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in in Ephesus at the time. Ephesus would have been in modern day Turkey. It's Asia Minor. Okay, this would have been a primarily Gentile church. Okay. Timothy was the pastor. He was writing it to the church. These are instructions for the church. Pardon me? Well, he's writing it to Timothy. He's a pastor of the church. These are instructions on how to lead the church. Yeah. Paul's writing. I'm sorry. Paul's writing it to Timothy. Okay. Um, he was young. He was young. He had stomach problems, probably had ulcers. Um, Paul told him to drink a little wine, uh, which would have helped with his stomach. Paul actually sent Timothy to Corinth first, and he told the Corinthians to be nice to him because he was young and sensitive, which is interesting. I'm sending a guy in to lead your church, and he's young and sensitive, so please be nice to him. Wow. You know. Okay. Marcy, I, I, I think it's worth a discussion. I really do. I'm just not sure this is the venue. Um, this is one that would be fun to deal with in, in one of these tough questions things we do where we can really get into it and look at it together. Um, you know, I, 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 I like where I've landed in terms of understanding this passage. It's actually how we operate at Cornerstone Church. And what I really put great value on is um, women who I know, including Sharon, uh, and other women who are intelligent and gifted and amazing are good with that interpretation. They do not feel like they're being um, sure. subordinated in any way. They feel like they're actually being equipped and empowered. You know, So I think there is a good solution for that, but you really got to look at it and really got to take the time. And I have no idea what verse 15 means. I have looked at so many different things and so many different explanations, and they all seem a little contrived to me. It's just a piece of information that I don't have, that I wish I had, but I don't. So and you know? I guess the thing that really bothers me about this is it just says Adam, um, Adam was not the one who was tricked, but he, he was by his wife. Yeah. So yeah. I guess I just like, okay. okay, so the question is, is this, okay, and here's a question, I'm just going to ask it, and, and this is legit. this is absolutely legitimate, okay, is that it says, Adam wasn't deceived, Eve was, except, well, Adam was kind of deceived, wasn't he? Or was he? Okay. Or was it the woman's job to do the food? You know, there's, there's a lot of good questions there. Um, what you really need to do is you really need to go back to Genesis 3 and read the account carefully. Who was being deceived? What was going on? Okay? And here's the other thing. You can sin and not be deceived. You can sin and know exactly what you're doing. And I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a thing there. I think, I, think, I think Eve, quite frankly, had the better intentions. 
she knew she wasn't supposed to eat of the tree, but then somebody who supposedly knew more than her told her, oh, no, 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 it's okay. okay. She was definitely deceived because Satan told her that. Adam knew he wasn't supposed to eat of the tree, but Satan never talked to Adam. Eve just brought him the fruit, and whereas Eve may have been deceived, Adam's disobedience may have been willful. And so that, and that's different. You know, you can sin because you just don't know any better. Okay, let me give you an example, and I'll leave you with this. We're going to have to shut her down here. Um, I do have, I do have to ask you about something though, because of the way this is playing out, is that, you know, I, I, I sat down with a couple, okay, that were living together, and it's no secret. I believe the Bible teaches. God calls a man and a woman to live in a covenant relationship with each other and to be in a marriage relationship before they live together. Okay, I just do that. Okay, she was living with him. He wasn't a believer. She was. Okay, um, they came in to talk to me because they're having all these terrible relationship problems. Well, what do you expect? I mean, you know. And I started talking to him and explaining about God's plan for marriage and all that kind of thing. And literally, he turned and looked at her and said. Why didn't you tell me? Okay. He was deceived. Okay. And she just hung her head. And I thought, I, I don't want her to get ganged up on here. But I, I, I just asked her. I said, what, what happened? She said, I was lonely. I needed someone to live with. He was there. Was she deceived? Not really. She knew. He didn't. Okay, and I think that might be that, that example. I don't think Eve really understood, you know. It wasn't that she was stupid. It was just that, you know, this is all so new. And yeah, I know that God told us not to eat of that tree, but he comes along and he's pretty smart and he says it's okay. So what, I, I don't know what to do, you know. Adam knew what to do. He just did it anyway. You know, that's the way I would look at it. But take a look at the passage. Okay? Here's my question. I'm only getting through about half the material I wanted to get through each night. We got one or two options. I can just barge ahead. And we can do the chapter we want to do, or the next time we meet, we can do part two of this. What do you want to do? Part two. All right. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. I think it's so important. All right. That's going to totally screw up our schedule now, um, which evidently, according to the discussion group, there was some confusion anyway. I apologize for that. I just, I just laid it out bad. I laid it out poorly. Okay. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to own that, that that I did that. But having said that, okay, we're going to pick up part two then when it talks about um, clarity of scripture or sufficiency of scripture. Because what I want you to do want to do next time is I want to take you through redemptive history because that's going to help us understand some of these passages when we get to talking about God. Because how can you have a God that says God is love? God is merciful, God is just, and by the way, the God that is loving and merciful and just comes to Joshua and the rest of his armies and says, when you go into the promised land, kill them all. What do you do with that? Well, we're going we're gonna to take a look at that particular, each section of Revelation and Scripture, because in each section of redemption history, God is revealing something different about himself. And so we're going to take a look at that together. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Are you saying that we should continue reading to the next chapter? I would not. I would just go over this chapter. Yeah, we just threw the schedule out the window. Um, 
you know, which is okay. We can do that. There's eight or nine of us here. I am going to give this to you now, though. This is a marvelous article. It's taken from Church History Made Simple by Bruce Shelley. It's one of the best church history books I've ever seen. This talks about how we got our Bible. Is somebody going to see Katie? Okay. Uh, why don't you bring Katie hers? Um, I can't remember. Heidi, was it you who wanted to know? No, it was Katie who wanted to know how we got the Bible. Remember? We had our questions at the beginning. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Katie said she had been to university, and they talked about stuff, and she wanted to know. Um, yeah, if you could um, take that with you and read it. We'll be dealing with this then in two weeks, and this is a little bit of excursus. So basically, just so everybody knows, um, we just threw the schedule out the window. Um, but what I'm going to do is on the discussion on the discussion group and in the email and everything else, I'll remind you of what's supposed to be read for next time so that you know what to do. Is that okay? Yeah, let me let me um let me send them to you by email. Is that okay? Yeah. Does everybody get email? Yeah. Yes. All right, let me send them to you by email because that might be helpful. I'm just gonna start giving you the notes every week. Is that okay? Because yeah. you're writing like mad and I'm talking and I get going fast and I just I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I just love talking about this. Okay. Hey, it, it was really fun tonight. Um, we're, we're talking about important things. Hopefully, Karen, that'll help a little bit with that whole thing about long hair. Maybe to explain that a little bit better because you did raise that issue. Well, you said you know. culture versus culture. Yes, yeah. How do you know if it's cultural? You know, and the answer is if it's based on something that can change, it's cultural. If it's based on something that can't change, it's super cultural. It's going to be supra. Supra. Supra, which means it goes over all cultures. Yeah. Okay.